Hi, I'm Blake Gilman, the Vice President, Director of Post-Acute Care Services at LCS. You're listening to the Healthcare Highwire. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoy it. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Highwire. I'm your host today, Laura Franco, Vice President Director of Post-Acute Regulatory Strategy for Life Care Services. And I'd like to welcome everyone back because today is episode four under cybersecurity. Because remember, October is Cybersecurity Month. And I'm joined again by Bryce Williams, Information Security Engineer for Life Care Services, and Sean Williams, Director of Information Security. So welcome back, gentlemen. Hello. And thanks for having us back. Okay. I'm really excited about today's topic because today we're going to be talking about traveling safely. Now, we've had some peaks and valleys during COVID of getting back to things being normal with travel, but, you know, eventually things will be back and businesses will be traveling readily, families, people will be traveling readily, and, you know, hopefully those days are coming soon. But we want to talk about cybersecurity as it's related to travel, because I understand it can be quite risky. So I'm going to address my first couple questions to Bryce. And Bryce, I just want to start it by letting you know, one of the things that I do when I travel, when I check into a hotel, I usually go onto the network of, you know, the Hyatt, the Hilton, the Marriott, and I sign in there and get my Wi-Fi access because I feel like I'm much more secure doing that than being out in the open or on my cellular plan. So, so let's start there and talking about those hotel Wi-Fis. You know, I don't use public Wi-Fi like at an airport. I just, for some reason, I think that's different. Maybe I'm wrong, but let's talk about some of those different scenarios. Sure, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that, that is a question that I know that we get asked by friends and family quite often. And so I think this is a question a lot of people have. And I guess one of my kind of core pieces of advice on this is just generally don't use someone else's Wi-Fi if you can avoid it. I think there is a bit of a difference between just like, kind of like you said, there, there's a bit of a difference between like truly public Wi-Fi, like at an airport and a hotel, but they're still both public Wi-Fi. And so I personally always recommend just don't join someone else's network that you don't control, that you don't know who's on it. And especially it's possible an attacker knows that there's a hotel or an airport in your in particular area, and they may be able to set up a Wi-Fi access point that looks similar or has maybe a similar name, or there's even ways to spoof the network uh, so that you don't know that you're not connecting to this, the hotel's real Wi-Fi. And so that's, there are risks to that. So I always, there's an expense to it. And so I know it's not, you know, for everyone, but I always typically go with like an unlimited cellular data plan. And I kind of stick to cellular for most of my stays in a hotel or traveling through an airport. Okay. Can I add a little bit to that, Bryce? So um, w- one important thing to just get your head around is just because a large corporation is providing you a service doesn't mean that there's any requirements, liability, security, anything around that. They can literally, you know, 
slap up a wireless network and it can be about the same quality as your home Wi-Fi. <laughs> so, you know, just because you're at the the Hilton or the Marriott or whatever, don't think that those networks are, are any more secure than like your local coffee shop network. And I, I completely agree with with Bryce's statement about, you know, if you do have your own personal hotspot, it's safer to use that even without any other security pieces in place just because you're isolating yourself on that network. So with public networks, some of them do that, but some of them don't. So, you know, besides the spoofing and and making fake networks that, that you know, basically an attacker can try to get you to join and, and grab your credentials or whatever, they can also sit on a, a public network a lot of times and see all the traffic that traverses that network. So when you're on your own hotspot, that doesn't happen. And then above and beyond that, if you do have to connect to a public network for whatever reason, we highly recommend using something like a VPN. And that can be, you know, something that you purchase for, for personal use. I, I actually use a, uh, a VPN called Private Internet Access, which is pretty well received product. And then at a corporate level, when we know that people are traveling overseas or in, you know, questionable areas, we are working with them to use their corporate VPN. So we've got some things in the works for VPN technology where it'll just turn on if it sees you on a, an untrusted network. And, and then you'll always be connected through the LCS corporate network. Not ready yet. We're working on it. But that's that's in the pipeline. So I have two questions based on some of the stuff that uh, we've just talked about. One is, I would assume that staying at an Airbnb would be the same as a hotel, because I know a lot of the Airbnbs now, when you check in, they'll have a little framed QR code and you hold your phone up to it and it takes you right in to connect to their Wi-Fi. So I would assume, is that the same as a hotel that you would recommend not doing that? Yeah, I, again, I I would avoid using anyone else's Wi-Fi that where, where you don't control it. You don't know who's been on it. You don't know what's been done to it. You don't know how it's been configured. So, so yes, an Airbnb Wi-Fi, I would still consider as probably something you want to generally avoid. Or again, like Sean said, if you have to use it, if you don't have any other choice, definitely use a VPN. And I'm going to go off on kind of a little tangent there on, on the Airbnb specifically. One issue that I've, I've seen, that it, it's kind of a cybersecurity issue, but more of a, a, a privacy issue, is a lot of Airbnbs have cameras, security cameras. And even though it's in the Airbnb policy to tell you where all the cameras are at, a lot of times it's a good practice to use a kind of a network discovery tool once you connect to the Wi-Fi, like as an example, Fing is F-I-N-G, is, is one that will actually do just a quick network discovery and show you what's actually on that network that you're connected to. Now, in a hotel, you're going to get all kinds of crazy stuff. It doesn't really, you know, make as much sense. But if you're in, you know, basically a single family residence that you're using for Airbnb, it might be a good idea to just you know, throw a quick network scan on there and see how many hundreds of hidden cameras are about the place before you get too comfortable. Interesting. Interesting. So 
My other question was hotspot. I always thought that the hotspot has to connect to some network. Or are you saying use a hotspot on your cellular plan? Yeah, the hotspot is actually the network. So whether you do that from your cell phone or whether you have a little device, basically what you're doing is you're taking that cellular connection and you're broadcasting that through Wi-Fi. So you, you change your cellular network into a Wi-Fi network and then you can connect your devices to that Wi-Fi. But basically that's your own network through either your phone or your device, which keeps you away from all the other public traffic and people that might want to sneak up on you. So if you have your hotspot turned on on your phone, is your phone then more protected? Then you don't have to go or doesn't does it just be have to be an external device that hooks to it? Yeah, it's well, no, it's it's not a matter of protection for your phone. It's a matter of protection for the other devices that you might. Basically, it's public network or hotspot. Hotspot's always going to be the better choice, but that doesn't enabling a hotspot does not inherently change the security on your phone unless you're doing a VPN or you've got an extra firewall or security product on your phone. Just turning on the hotspot doesn't really change anything. Okay. Okay. Thank you. That's that's really helpful. So at the same time, as we're talking about traveling, we're on the road, a lot of airports and even even like coffee cafes have mobile charging stations. So let's talk about those. I, you know, I find them very, very convenient, as do many people who charge their phones at these mobile charging stations. So do those have any risk? Yes, Laura, those those do present uh, a number of risks. And it's kind of challenging for us as information security professionals to educate people on those because they are so convenient and they are just about everywhere. A lot of times there'll be like a USB plug and it's like, just plug in your, your cord and charge up. And there are some documented attacks where maybe some of those USB plugs have been tampered with and actually are able to perhaps compromise your phone. Sometimes that involves a pop-up on the screen, but there's been a number of newer attacks where that does not happen. It's a silent issue. And there's no real good way just to at a glance to see which ports are dangerous and which are not. Well, that's so our scary. Recommend, <laughs> we're not trying to scare people. We're just trying to help them understand maybe there's a little bit better choice to make, which is always have a charger with you, like a, a wall plug, AC adapter charger, one that's with you, one that you bought, preferably the one that came from the manufacturer, just to make sure that you're not going to void your warranty maybe. But always plug into the wall power outlet with your charger and then connect your cable to that charger. And and maybe a cruder analogy that I won't go into detail is you never want to plug something into a place that you don't know where, where it's been. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I, I will I I will not take that one any further. <laughs> okay. Now that thank you for that. That's really interesting because you know the convenience of the USB over then getting the cube out to put your phone into the USB into your phone to club plug into the wall. It just is so much more convenient. But 
totally, totally understand that. So, um, it makes so one sense. other thing I'll, I'll, I'll just mention real quick is the other thing you'll find if you've if you've done that before is the state of those charging stations is usually one that either a the usb plugs are broken or so loose that they don't work very well the charging speeds are subpar for most modern devices so using your own charger and your own cord you're actually going to get better performance and you're going to have something that you know is actually going to work rather than relying on something at the airport Okay, good to know. Good to know. How about the uh, how about the USB ports on an airplane, or is that a same, whole different animal? Or is it no, the, oh, same, same same advice applies. If you don't know what's been plugged into it, or you don't know you know how well it's been monitored, or if anyone's checking to see if it's been tampered with, just use the the AC adapter. Use your AC adapter charger. Okay, let's talk a little bit about credit cards. I want to talk, like, let's talk first, you know, sitting on an airplane, because I just mentioned airplanes, you're sitting on an airplane, you, well, maybe we should talk about the whole air travel. Do you, is it okay to get on the airplane Wi-Fi? That, so I'm going to go back to that. And then credit cards, you have to put your credit card in to pay for the airplane Wi-Fi. So I'm one of those people that just, because people are sitting so close. I kind of hide my credit card and I stick it in, <laughs> stick it in my device and just go forward. So I'm trying to protect it there just because I'm also one of those people that at a restaurant, I don't lay my card up with the, the number across the front. You know, somebody could have a cell phone like, like walking by. Maybe I'm a little paranoid. I don't know. I take a picture of your card, right? So let's think about airplanes using credit cards start there and then using their whole Wi-Fi system. And then let's talk about just the use of credit cards in daily life. Like so many times, at least where I live, at least once a week, there's a big thing in the newspaper. These are the gas stations that have, you know, fake devices. Don't go there. So, yeah. uh, so let's talk about both of those. Can, can I start with this one, Bryce? Yeah, go for it. I was going <laughs> to okay. ask if you want to start. Okay, those are all very interesting subjects when it comes from a, an attack standpoint. Certainly, anytime you join a network, you want to make sure that any kind of transactions you're doing are secure. So a best practice, if, if you're a frequent traveler, would be to sign up beforehand. You know, I don't, and I don't know what it is now. It used to be Boingo. I think maybe they've changed their name, but... You know, what, whatever the service is that's used on the airline that you typically fly or your frequent flyer, if you're traveling more than once a month, it makes a lot of sense to just get a subscription, have it ready to go. You've already put your credit card information in. The, the authentication is secure. They do it through a secure server. It, it just eliminates that having to actually get out a physical card where other people might might be able to see it. The other thing that's important is, and, and this applies everywhere, when you're doing credit card transactions, especially in a, in a browser, you want to make sure that that site is actually secure. So in most modern browsers, they are making it so you can't connect to a site that doesn't have SSL turned on, but you can always look in your browser bar. And if you see that little padlock, if the padlock is locked, you're generally okay. If it's unlocked, then that's sketchy, and I would not be putting in, in any 
important financial information. And that applies everywhere, whether you're on a plane, whether you're on your house, whatever, you know, always make sure that when you're putting financial information and you're doing it over a secure connection and a secure trusted site. When you get to the actual card readers themselves, you know, unfortunately, there's not much you can do when they bring the food cart around on an airplane because you're going to get to use whatever random Android device has the card reader on there. And that's just the, the chance you've got to take. But your point about gas stations and things like that, that is a very common tactic for attackers to put a card reader over the card reader. And one of the easiest ways to, to protect against that is to actually give that card reader a little tug before you put your card in. Because a lot of times they're not secured that well. They may be secured with double-sided tape or Velcro or, or something. And sometimes you can tell, sometimes you can't. But sometimes you can ch tell just by pulling on it whether there's a something on top of the actual card reader. Bryce, you were going to say something. Yeah, so Sean, I think I did a little research on this before before this episode. I think we're calling that those are, are card skimmers. That's a skimming attack yes, skimmer, is what we call yeah. it. And so and that can apply at any credit card payment terminal, whether it's in a Walmart self-checkout lane, inside the gas station or at the gas pump. I think card skimming attacks tend to be most common either on ATMs or some like especially one that's maybe in off in a dark corner somewhere or maybe it's not well monitored and gas pumps where again maybe late at night you know it's 24/7 service station but it's all automated at night and uh maybe someone comes and and messes with things overnight but Sean's exactly right kind of give on a gas pump try to give the the card slot a little bit of a tug or I mean don't be too rough with it but I mean don't break it don't rip it out of the machine <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. yeah. fine balance but also just the card slot as well as the numpad because oftentimes part of the skimming process is that they'll need to get your pin for your card if you have one uh, and so you could if the pin pad looks like it's maybe been messed with or there's something loose that could be a sign a lot of gas station i mean they're they're trying to start to train some of the gas station staff to look for those things because it has become a big problem usually a place like a sam's club that has a dedicated attendant there the whole time could be a little safer because they're supposed to go check every day that's not a guarantee of course <laughs> yeah so i guess my advice typically on using credit cards especially while traveling and especially at like a gas station or service station would be to try to do the the dip like do the chip card transaction i know a lot of gas stations are still trying to catch up on that part of the credit card game i know a lot of stores have already made that change or retail stores have made that change but gas stations are working on it or i know actually a lot of gas stations now are actually just jumping all the way up to using apple pay or google pay um, and act in fact i actually use that exclusively now i've got some locally i've got some gas stations where I know I can use those technologies. To date, there's not really been, as far as I could tell, there's not really been any reported successful skimming of using an NFC payment method, which is what, that's the technology used for, for Apple Pay or Google Pay. And, and also some cards have NFC built in as well. So rather than having to put the chip in, you just touch it to the reader. And that's also far more secure than a, a swipe plus pin, if you've got that option. Yeah, it's a good point, Sean. So, you know, we talked in an earlier episode, 
you know, making sure you're doing regular updates on your devices when your carrier comes out or your manufacturer comes out and says you need to do these updates. But it sounds to me like we should also pay attention to updates in credit cards that our bank is promoting to say there's usually no expense, but they'll say, now we're sending you the card with the chip. Please destroy the other card. So it sounds to me like it's better to stay up on that stuff also and to check in maybe with your banking institution from time to time to see if there is some more advanced technology from a card you might have been carrying around for the last 10 years. Yeah, for sure. And and most of the time they will force those technology changes. Like they'll say your card is going to expire and you need this new tech. But it's it's also just a good idea not to ignore things like that. Like there's a reason that they are upgrading their technology, making things more secure because they have entire divisions of their companies that are dedicated to loss prevention. And these are the things that they've come up with to try to prevent fraud, to prevent having to, you know, lock accounts and send out new cards. Because believe it or not, as much as a lot of people don't like credit card companies, they do sometimes have have your best interest at heart when it comes to things like fraud. Well, I think with some of the other stuff we've talked about, too, this is really pertinent. And it's pertinent now, too, because it's Cybersecurity Month, October. but to to really start being more cognizant and thinking about our convenience devices that we've become so accustomed to that we're walking around with information that really it could be vulnerable and it's information that outside attackers would want <laughs> they they want access to ultimately to the dollars or to hold somebody responsible to pay the dollars So it sounds to me, um, I mean, it's opened my eyes, these conversations we've had, it's opened my eyes a lot in terms of, I'm thinking I'm doing the best thing in my own mind to be secure, when in fact, I'm really not. So it's time to take it to just the next level. Absolutely. And if I can just give one little plug here on the device side as well, this was something I I thought of when we're talking about transactions and, and mobile devices. A lot of that is also dependent on who makes your hardware and who makes your software on your mobile device. So Apple, for as cost prohibitive as they are sometimes, and for as many people that hate on their kind of their closed wall ecosystem of hardware and software, they have got it down when it comes to not letting people be able to maliciously access their hardware and software. Not that it never happens, not that there haven't been some pretty, you know, notable things that have happened with Apple devices, but having that closed ecosystem allows them to control the flow of that data. And they're even to the point now where a lot of that data sits in in hardware and encrypted secure enclave. So it, it literally doesn't go outside of that little ecosystem inside the device itself. And that may, gives them a real leg up security-wise. On the Android side, if you buy an Android device, that you don't mess with, (laughs) that is, you know, a a Samsung or whatever, they're okay. And they have pretty good security too. It's when you start to try to bypass that security, because it seems like everybody that owns an Android device is like their own little hacker and they want to root it and they want to open the bootloader and things like that. If you do any of that 
any security guarantees are null and void because that basically opens you up to any kind of attack with any kind of software you in, install once you start manipulating the software and, and hardware. And that is, to me, one of the biggest downfalls of Android is the people that do like to tinker with stuff a lot of times do that at their own risk. And, and certainly it can cause issues. Well, I, I think I'll just stay with my my little Apple over here because I don't even know what a bootloader is. <laughs> so, so one more question on that. Is that part of the reason? Now, I know these companies are out there. To, they're making better devices every day. But I'm assuming that every time they do some new technology, that it's got newer protections in it. Or is that not a good assumption? Whoever makes it, whether it's an Android device or an Apple device or any type of a device. Yeah, I'll let Bryce take that one. Yeah, I I would say I know security is is top of mind for a lot of consumers. And so I think a lot of the phone and, and electronic device manufacturers are keenly aware of that. I know Apple, I know they've got some good marketing going on. But yes, generally, they are making some security improvements with every uh, new device that they release. Now, is it always a substantive security improvement? Debatable, but typically, yeah, they're they're trying to move the move the the line forward as much as they can in general. Okay, this has been really another super educational episode. I seem to learn so much every time we talked. But before I let you guys go. Let's talk one more minute about security and travel in terms of credit cards. I know when I travel abroad, I always let my card carrier, you know, whichever card I'm going to use when I'm traveling abroad, I will let them know that I'm traveling abroad and the dates so that they don't lock me out of my transactions. I never do that domestically. Do I need to do that domestically? That's a really great question, Laura. Um, I always do. I don't know that. And I guess I will be very honest. I don't know that I have to, but I I do it for one reason. It's mainly so that I can kind of tell the bank like, hey, I am going to be traveling. And sometimes, depending on where I'm going or what I'm doing, you could ask the bank to actually set a lower threshold for your fraud alerts. So they might, you know, lock your card more quickly if there's kind of unusual activity. You should definitely still tell them where you're going domestically so that they they know that, okay, well, you're going to Omaha. I won't do it if I'm going like very close by, but they'll at least know card transaction that occurred in Chicago is probably not something that was authorized, but I try to at least tell them where I'm going to go. And I ask them to, you know, please help me monitor my accounts more closely. And for, I tell them I'll be traveling for a week or two weeks or however long it is. And they usually are willing to fulfill that request. Depends on the bank. Different banks have different services or fraud monitoring partners that they use. Uh, So your bank's capabilities may be a little different. But I guess it never hurts to at least tell them, right? And what about frequent travelers who have a history of traveling? So the banks don't alert them because they have a history. They're probably more at risk. But to have to call the bank every week and go, hey, this is where I'm going to be this week hey, this is where we're going to be this week. I would assume that's a little more difficult if they've got your spending patterns down. Sure. And that would be something most banks usually do have, especially smaller banks. Will you have a fraud specialist that you could actually talk to 
if you wanted to, you know, kind of get more insight on what they recommend, because again, every bank's a little different. They have different partners that they work with. And so that uh, you should speak with someone at your bank to kind of get that more specific guidance. I know that might be a little harder to do or using one of the really big banks. I think they've all kind of got like a script prepared, but I would also say the bigger banks probably have more of that real time Hey, they send you a text message, just reply with a, a yes or a no to allow the transaction. So that might be something that you could use if you're using maybe a more sophisticated or technologically capable bank. But I would say in regardless of whether you called your bank or you got them to set you up on some super fancy system, always just check your bank statements after you travel or, or your card statements just to make sure that everything looks right, that there's not something weird. And especially pay attention to, I think something that is easy to ignore is maybe like some a transaction for like a dollar or two, or maybe just a couple cents. That can sometimes be a sign that someone's got your card number and they just wanted to see if it worked. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll test it once, you know, shortly after they get the number to see if it works. And then they'll hold on to it for a while before they actually start using it more broadly for a fraudulent purpose. So so definitely check some of the really low amount transactions that you might say, eh, it's a dollar, I don't really care to follow up on it. Might be worth looking into, might be worth looking into. Great advice, great advice. Well, I want to thank you both. We are going to get together for one more wrap-up episode yet this month. So I'm looking forward to that. But thank you both today. And uh, and I know our listeners are, are as interested in all of this, and they're learning as much as uh, I'm learning. Just our conversations so far this month have really opened my eyes and uh, given me a lot of things to think about and ways to act differently with cybersecurity in mind. You know, you talk about your personal security when you're traveling and those types of things, but talk about your cybersecurity also as you're, uh, as you're moving about the world and using our conveniences. So thank you, Bryce, and thank you, Sean, and uh, we will talk to you next time. Sounds good. Thanks, Laura. Thank you, Laura. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Healthcare Highwire. I'm your host today, Laura Franco, and we hope that you'll join us again in our final episode of Cybersecurity Month. So you enjoyed this podcast episode. Click like, share it with your friends, leave us a comment, and let us know what you liked best about it. Thanks for listening to Healthcare Highwire. Also, thank you to Ben Sounds for the music provided in this podcast.